0: Uh, thank you, Imanchi. Um, welcome, everyone, who has joined us today for the Orange City Literature Festival. Um, I'm really excited to be here, especially today in conversation with uh, the wonderful Janavi Barua, whose uh, novel, uh, Undertow, which looks like this, has a gorgeous cover, was published recently in February of this year. Um, the, session, the, the topic for today's session is homecoming, which of course is a predominant theme in Janvi's book. And Janvi, if I may start uh, by asking you, um, what what is it that that kind of you know compelled you to focus on homecoming as a theme in Undertow? What was your what was your thought process when you were conceptualizing the book, and uh, you know what led you to kind of focus so much on Homecoming, and you know, homecoming is just one of the many themes that kind of undertow focuses on. There is there's loss, there is regret, there is resentment, there's guilt. But homecoming kind of remains the 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 biggest theme um, in the novel. So, if I may start with the session by asking you, Janvi, to to tell me about um, your your you know your thought process behind the book, and of course, a little bit about the book itself.
1: Thank you, Anushri. Um, thank you so much, uh, the Orange City Literature Festival for this platform to speak about Undertow. I must um, say right at the beginning, that it was Anushree who picked up the book, who spotted Undertow as it were, and uh, gave it a very warm home in Penguin Random House. Thank you so much for that. It wouldn't of have been possible without you. <laughs> uh, so when you asked me what um, inspired or what sort of um, stirred me to write um, Undertow, mm-hmm. I think I have always been, um, very interested in the themes of belonging, belonging and Uh, Mm unbelonging. Perhaps somewhere, I've said this before, it stems from the fact that I've led a very nomadic life. My father was in the civil services. So, you know, every couple of years, sometimes even a couple of, um, a few months, you sort of approach yourself and move to the next city. And usually it would be like um, a midterm. So you you enter a class in the middle of... uh, half the year is gone and you sit on the back bench and you know you don't know anybody and nobody knows you you start making friends you catch up on missed work Mm -hmm. and um, in a way it allows you to see uh, life from the outside it's kind of from the outside looking in and um, you get used to it but somewhere i think it gives you a different perspective from someone else who's always lived in one place who's always belonged and as i grew up it was not just place it was very many things communities a country so vast. I mean, you're from the northeast of India. When you move around so much, you're always questioned uh, from the <laughs> northeast. Oh, so, um, uh, do you speak Hindi there? No, uh, what do you eat there? Do you eat snakes? You know, it's like so many things come up right in, in in my time in the 70s and 80s when I was young. And um, so you were you had a very distinct feeling of belonging and unbelonging that was definitely a very concrete thing in front of you, and mm-hmm. um, that has always made me um of empathetic to the outsider to someone on the margins you know to someone who's really not part of the, 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 the mass and um, there's always been a deep sympathy for the other in many ways and today the others translated into many things into people from different geographies into people of different sexualities from different um, economic strata so I somehow had this um, sort of um, resonance with the other and what better way to explore belonging than to explore home to explore a <laughs> So yes, yes. In this in this story is a lawyer who is uh, whose mother's from the northeast of India from Assam, whose father's from Bangalore. Uh, decides um, uh, late in her young life, she's 25. She, she's no longer a child, but she's no longer really really a fully grown woman in that sense. She's a young woman, and she, um, as a result of her family situation, decides to go back to Assam to see if there was a home there. I mean, and she didn't even know it when she was doing it. She went, um, she was telling herself she was going there to research, to work on her uh, PhD. But really, as it goes along, I think she and the reader realize that um, she's actually looking for home. So um, and in that journey, along the journey, so many things come about, right place, home. So I've explored home at many levels, as you've seen, uh, as in place, place, which is the most important thing. And um, many questions come up here as to... uh, which place is home—the place you're born in, the place your mother's from, the place you have been raised in, the place you study in, or the place you work in? Can many places yeah. be home? Yes, many places can be home. I, I, I felt that in my own life. These questions are explored again and again. The physical house is explored. I think to any human being, you know, be it from wherever in the world, be it a small hut or a huge mansion, that home, you know, that front door, you know, your your space is so important. So the physical house, I think, the yellow house is explored, uh, the yeah. Glenburn yeah. is explored. And then, of course, that final virtual place is, of course, what is what is really, really the home for us, wherein you feel welcome and loved. So home is explored at all these levels and many other things that you said, family, relationships, man and woman, marriage, friendships, you know, almost all these facets of so the human condition, as it were, are explored here. Yeah, and, and the, <laughs> like mention, oh
0: Goya yeah, is kind of struggling with almost each of these elements. She is 25 years old. She's She's grown up in Bangalore but she's always been cognizant of the fact that there has been another family which she has never met, she's never really spoken to. They have essentially been estranged from them all her life. But she still decides to take this really bold step and kind of goes and sees her grandfather. Her grandmother, who um, was basically the reason why her own mother, Loya's own mother, Rukmini, was shunned from the family, um, is now dead. And uh, her grandfather, Torun Goswami, who is the patriarch and who is living in the yellow house, which I personally think is a beautiful symbolism of something that kind of roots you into a place and kind of essentially gives you an identity uh, based in multiple things your ethnicity, the place you come from, et cetera, as well. So, Loya is the one who kind of goes back and decides to, um, you know, under the guise of also, in a way, figuring out her PhD thesis, decides to figure these things out for herself and kind of um, make herself known to this part of the family. And, the you and I have discussed in the past as well how the relationships that you you talk about relationships really beautifully and the relationship that she manages to build with her grandfather torun is really really special and i really want to understand from you how how you how you know your your kind of your inspirations and your thought processes behind how you deal with relationships and how you write about them
1: Anushree, i think i've been fortunate in that um, despite this very nomadic lifestyle um, loosely, mm-hmm. our structure was a joint family structure. In the sense, uh, in my very early years uh, in our family home in Shillong, uh, there were four generations. There was my great grandmother, there were my grandparents, great. there were my parents, and I, and my goodness, assorted cousins and uncles and aunts and nephews and people being, you know, some um, aunt would come and have deliver a baby in our family home. You know, so there was always something happening, and I yeah. loved it. Yeah. I loved that um, structure. For me, that was um, that was the world. I mean, this, mm-hmm. this huge uh, family was the world. And even as we moved along for long stretches, my grandparents would come and live with us, let's say, for a year. Uh, they would just come and live a year with us in Delhi, you know. So um, essentially for us, family really meant, uh, and, you know, my, my, my dad, would, whenever I asked him, I said, oh, so, so-and-so is coming from Mr. Shillong. is he your second or third cousin? So he'd look at me and say, second, Third. Is my cousin, you know? So we didn't have the first cousin, yeah. second cousin, third cousin, you know? So um, until today, we maintain the relationships. I'm in touch with um, cousins who are not my first cousin, but second, third cousins. My son knows his fourth cousins, you know? Right. So we yeah. um, call them all family. The cousins. Within the family, I realized as you grow up, is that you practically see every relationship you'll see in the outside world. You know, you see authority, you see defiance, uh, you see love, you see uh, unlove, you see betrayals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're taught honesty, but you also see dishonesty sometimes. You know, so I think the family is such a um, an important training ground. You know, it, it's really where you learn to be. You 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 become what you are to a large I extent. Like <laughs> and um, this particular book, I think, my relationship with my grandfather, who the book is dedicated to, informed it. In that, um, I was. Very really, really close to him, and I think that's a very special relationship between grandparents and grandchildren. You skip that generation of authority, you don't have to deal with your parents, you know, it's out of the way. And this, is a, this is a relationship of pure love and indulgence, you know. Uh, yes, they have, yes, they have discipline and brought up their children, now they can afford to be indulgent with you. And similarly, with you, it's a journey of learning, of love, and um, without too much else getting in the way. But I think that is, I think, and I think that's a, such an important relationship for a child, you know. And it right, uh, right. strengthens you in a way that you know. Even today, I still remember something my grandfather said. You know, you should do this this way, and I and I blindly followed it because you know he had said that while he was still here with me. You know, so um, I think I think this um, and between this granddaughter and grandfather, I thought it would be a very strong connection to uh, display or to illustrate the the family bonds that can spring up in a family. So that's what my and mm-hmm. grandfather went through. You know, on, yeah, on yeah. Yes. yeah,
0: and that's, I can. I can that's such a beautiful experience to live yourself but also that that comes out really strongly in the book as well because the way Tarun and Loya are kind of growing with each other as well and you know you would imagine in a very on a very uh, superficial level you'd imagine that Thorun is the older person so he obviously knows the ways of the world a lot better than Loya does but of course he's learning from Loya as much as she is learning from him and she's learning more more concrete things from him, you know, her culture, the political background of Assam. But Thorun is also learning very emotional things from Loya. And and not to spoil it for the reader, but, you know, he kind of comes to elevate himself from how he had seen his own life and his wife and Rukmini in the past and comes to, in a weird way, in its own way, kind of accept Rukmini for how she is and accept Loya in, in a new way altogether. Um, but... And you know um, the readers who have read it, and the, the very many reader reviews that we have read on Goodreads and otherwise on social media so far, kind of really love that aspect of it. But one of the most, um, the, one of the one of the aspects from the book that they really particularly get really hit hard by is are the final moments of the book. Which you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's it's not an easy ending. And I'm not gonna spoil it for whoever is watching who has not read the book yet. But it is it is a difficult kind of an ending to a book which is consistently getting more and more hopeful with each page. But it sort of ends on a note where you're just like you're hopeful but you're also kind of scared. And and Janmi, I wanna know from you when you were writing this, how hard was it for you to kind of write, you know? That particular scene and of course i would i would leave it up to you to kind of give it away if you want to give that scene away in its entirety but i want to understand from you you know what were some of the hardest things uh for you to write in this book and especially that last part that that final kind of the denouement of the book
1: um it wasn't easy it wasn't easy <laughs> because um i think uh, um in the past i've always veered towards you know let's make it happy you know um if yeah. you've read my novel rebirth it's like it, it really ends Um, Some ties are broken, but very strongly, hopefully, other ties are already slipping into place, right? So it ends on a very (laughs) upbeat note. Uh, Here, um, I think my whole vision for the book was that this was going to be a very cautionary tale. You know, Mm -hmm. this this, uh, was going to illustrate... Uh, how you have to mend certain things in time. You know, there's, I I, I don't believe I'm one of those people who uh, I, I don't like to sleep on a quarrel. I don't like to, uh, if it's important to me, not try and mend a relationship or do some, or fix something uh, which has uh, gone wrong. And uh, I've realized that, you know, if you leave things too late, uh, it's human nature. Sometimes um, your intensity of feeling for the other party goes down and it's like, okay, fine, I mean, uh, I haven't spoken to her for 20 years and, you know, let's, why should I now try and make amends, you know? So I do feel when mm-hmm. feelings are raw it could swing the other way feelings are intense you know but um that is actually the right moment you know maybe give it a couple of nights sleep on it and then reach out and see what you can fix if you don't and if you uh let other things get in the way you know um there is a good chance um that it will not end well like it hasn't ended well here you know mm-hmm. that's what you say about the scene and uh, how hard was it to write the scene very hard and i didn't want to um i think in any case when i'm writing i'm very conscious of things being um less than more, you know, and I've always had this huge, I have this thing in, in real life, and otherwise that less is always more. You can say everything, fewer words with the fewer flourishes, but as effectively. So my um, crafting concern in the scene was that uh, it has to be really, um, it has to of course have impact, but it has to um, not really get too over the top. And um, that that is what I was concerned about. And I think sometimes I feel I like did it so well. Some readers said, what, if turned the patient gone back. Did this happen or not? Oh yes, <laughs> So it's, it's kind of, it slipped in. For your, story you know so yes, yeah, yeah. Know that, but you know for this whole journey I keep telling people lawyer's journey have any meaning um, uh-huh. have wait. there wouldn't be any weight to her journey
0: yeah, yeah. So, no and that comes through in the book as well and you know you mentioned you mentioned the craft and you mentioned you know when you were crafting that final scenes and I'm I've, I've always I'm always intrigued in general uh, about the crafts that each the craft that each author kind of adopts for themselves and you know your writing is almost universally beloved like everyone who has read the book if there's one line that they are able to say about the book it is that it's so evocative and beautifully written and and you know you and I were also talking about this uh, sometime in the past but the language remains you know your sentence structure is almost perfect on a sentence level it's perfect on a sentence level but you know you don't add those flourishes which might be which are somewhat unnecessary on a, on a sentence level as well. Your writing is super simple, but super evocative. It's gorgeous. And you're transported into the story, but you still manage to keep it simple. You still manage to kind of reach the lay reader. Um, and, you know, it always reminds me of, you know, almost like Ian McEwan or Jumpa Lahiri, the way the, when I read Rebirth, when I read Rebirth and when I read uh, Underdo as well. And I really want to understand from you, you know, your inspirations behind the way you write, and and your craft, your crafting process as well.
1: You know, I've I've thought about this over the years, and I've um, realized that um, for any author, I think eventually he or she, um, whatever he or she is, actually translates onto the page. And yeah. um, if yeah. if you're a um, you know um, a super frilly person, you like everything lush, and you know you you know uh, want everything. Um, you want a busy room, you know, your style of dressing is very busy. You know, I'm, your your pros, I think, more likely than not, will be uh, lush, you know. Mm-hmm. I think, I, think I, I am a simple person. I have this sort of philosophy in life, where in, in the house. I don't mind one less pen or pencil. I don't want an extra pencil in the house. You know, when you want that extra pencil, go okay. get it, you know. So um, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in a sense, very minimal, you know, with, with everything in life. And um, by nature, and I think my medical training somewhere has also helped that that get rid of the mm-hmm. clutter, get to the point, you know? And I enjoy this kind of um, writing. I enjoy reading it, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> it would be an even McQueen, it would be um, uh, Alice Munro, it would be somebody very spare, it would be a Salinger, you know, who would, um, you know, at the sentence level really sort of impact you, you know? Yeah. So when, yeah. when I enjoy that kind of reading, um, that sort of uh, writing from other authors, I think very naturally it's the kind of writing I want to write you know so it's not really being conscious conscious I don't think I could write Lashan over the top if I wanted to So in, in a way it's a blessing so in fact uh, I, I would have to struggle to do that this comes naturally so I don't, <laughs> really, I don't really have to work too much at it um, I think it's just a sort of a presentation on paper of who I am you know so it's, right. that makes it easy and in the end um, even a literary book even literary fiction I think you don't have to dazzle the reader I feel that you, um, it can be simple. It can be simple, the danger there being that uh, people think, well, oh, it was so, it's, it's too simple. I mean, it's, um, you didn't really work harder, did you? It's much harder to write a simple, um, to write simple prose right. than to really put all the adjectives and adverbs and everything out there, right? I mean, when you're Absolutely. writing it. It's so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I think, a, a presentation of who I am really on the page.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Like uh, Ian McEwen is also one of my favorite authors. And I always find it kind of a lot more enticing when the writing is just, you know, just simpler to kind of grasp, and I mean, yes. even can use. Kind of, it, I mean, obviously, it, it, it. I don't want to make it sound like I'm paring it down to its most basic forms, but you know, it's almost as if you know, if you're able to do it without using a fancier sounding synonym, yes. and still affect the reader, it's almost yes. magical. It's almost that much more magical in its own way. Yes, yeah, and, and you've done that so successfully with, with Undertow too, but I, um, and I know this, but like, it took you a while to kind of get Undertow in shape, and you know, it took you, so what was your, uh, what was your kind of process of writing Undertow specifically? What well, what's I, the story, yeah, what was your, you know, like I, your, as a writer,
1: I many I revisions you
0: had to do, et cetera. sorry.
1: I think with Andato, I surprised myself too, because with rebirth and next door, rebirth I practically honestly didn't even redraft. It was that one draft, you know, it uh, with a few changes here and there. So also my short stories, because the way I work is, um, I take a lot of time thinking about it and practically scene by scene by line by line in my head. When I put it down, it's almost like just transcribing; it's already there, and then the short story is finished. You know, Uh, so also rebirth, I kind of had everything uh, in my head, and I don't write down. I don't have post-its. I don't have um, you know a file where I make notes. It's in my head, and I finish it. With undertow, I think the challenge was that um, unlike rebirth or my short fiction. Uh, i chose two protagonists i mean you, you know it right there's no one protagonist. and uh, it's so easy in rebirth i could just um sort of time myself to Kaberi and just you know redraft. here um i really wanted to be fair to both lawyer and doron and um, various drafts. so so when i redrafted i redraft the whole thing so i would go from chapter one to chapter ten and uh, i wrote it eight or nine times through and um uh, just wanting that that balance of the of weight of presence and voice for both the characters to be equal. I didn't want to uh, be partial to Loya or I didn't want to indulge um, Torun. And only when that got sorted, you know, initially, of course, the structure of the books since you're asking was actually in the very first draft was different chapters, one chapter for Loya, one chapter for Torun. And then uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, um, no, it's not really working. So now we have sections, as you saw. this yeah, yeah. and right from the first line, you know whose section it is, whose point of view it is, right? And that that seemed to me more fluid more seamlessly working and that's how I did it but this balance between the two that the story or the characters or the plot or the mood um, was not an issue it was how to put it down so both of them are balanced took a long time it as you know it took almost eight years so although it seems simple and it's up there and it's a very slim small book but um, there's a lot of work behind it
0: no no of course and I mean I'm so glad when when I got to read it the final product was in in as perfect a shave as, as I could have potentially hoped it to be. And, you know, when you and I were editing the book, I think my the feedback from my side was as minimal as it needed to be, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I was glad to have read it, in a in a form that, you know, like you guys are, and whoever has read the book is probably reading it in its, in its most kind of, you know, final shape. And um, I was really glad to have read it in, you know, in that same form as well. Um, but, you know, one of the other things that you kind of mentioned, um, what is, you said that the, you know, the mood and the atmosphere were relatively easier for you to kind of reach. But when you're writing in general, and I'm sure you're working on something else as well right now. Um, but when you're working on short stories and when you're working on rebirth, what is the most difficult part for you? And outside of Undertow as well. Is it is it the characterization? Is it the plot as a whole? Is it the underlying themes that the reader is supposed to pick up on? What is the most kind of difficult thing for you? And and the most important thing for you, two different questions, I would imagine, for you to kind of, when you're writing, what what are those two things that you feel are?
1: You know, if I were to think of it, um, I don't think any one thing stands out. Right. I think, right. I think the whole process of uh, getting a story into your head, getting the characters um, into your head, uh, knowing the arc of the story, knowing where it's going to, you know, climax and come down and resolve and, you know, all that. The, the whole process takes time for me, but no one facet is more difficult than the other. Right. And, um, and like I said, I, spent a, I, I may spend a year thinking about it. I'm, I would, I do not go <laughs> <put laughs> into writing. I will not put the first chapter down. So one, once I'm even sure of the last line and the first line and, you know, uh, the mood of the story and what the character likes to wear is when I begin to write. So so in that way, since a lot of wrestling has gone on in my mind already, as I've been you know, doing housework or <laughs> I'm, I'm having a coffee or I'm picking my son somewhere, um, right. The hard work yeah. is done. The writing, the writing process is literally just it's writing it down. You know? yeah. yeah. So um, it's it's all of it for me. It all it all comes together at once, and or it doesn't. Then it just sits for a couple of months. You know. Right. So right. Yeah, I, I don't push it. I don't I don't have a character, but not a plot, and then start pushing the character. I, I don't do that. It mm-hmm. just all has to sit. In the
0: right. And but in undertow, you know, one of the settings is also when Saloya so is almost set in the present day, but. You know, when we are, when, when her mother Rukmini is younger, um, there is a lot of political kind of politically led movement and upheaval in Assam as well. And uh, how how important was it for you to kind of have the political background to the novel? And you know, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm gonna let you answer that first before I move on to the next part of it.
1: Um, actually, I mean, I've said this before. There was no choice. So yeah. any book of fiction or nonfiction you're going to set in Assam or the Northeast between the mid-70s to um, even now, you cannot avoid the political landscape. It's just there, you know? So um, so you don't have to struggle. You don't have to decide whether you want it there or not. It has to be there. Even if it's a small, short story, even if someone goes out to buy, let's um, say, a loaf of bread, he may encounter a bomb blast, you know? So yeah. the yeah. politics is always there. Um, yeah. In fact, yeah. uh, I didn't have to think of that. And um, the odd synergy was that what was happening on the outside, the insider-outsider struggle on the political landscape fed into and uh, was like uh, anchored the story of the insider-outsider in, in the Goswami family. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. so, uh, it, it just worked very organically into this family, you know, in, into the family saga. So I didn't have to struggle. I didn't have to decide whether I wanted or not. I had to have it. I, I could not change the, the facts on the ground there. And it worked me as it wove it into the story. Yeah, and I feel
0: like the reader kind of gets to learn about it as well because people are just generally not very aware of whatever is happening in the Northeast in general and Assam in specific. And um, through lawyer, you're able to kind of understand all of these things and learn about all of these things. And I think underdog also serves to kind of make you a lot more aware. And I think readers have also appreciated it a lot more too. Um, but also, speaking of lawyer, I think you know, one of the things that I really liked about Undertow, and I, it kind of harkens back to how you write relationships so well as well, is apart from her relationship with, with Tauron, her grandfather, there are so many um, peripheral characters, everyone from, you know, the help in the house to the gardeners to Arun. Um, how do these characters kind of come alive in your mind? And it's really, I mean, personally speaking, it was really heartwarming for me to kind of see her building these very individual relationships with these people and have them be so genuine and so absolutely helpful to her in her as a young person. How do you, how do you, how do you bring these characters to life and how do you decide on them, having, on them being present in the book?
1: Uh, I must confess, I, I love minor characters in a book. If I'm reading somebody else's book or short story or novel, uh, I love the minor characters because, uh, I mean, uh, um, they, they make up the map of life, you know, you, you have this, you have, uh, nobody's living in a vacuum. No one lives in a vacuum, yes. right? Yes. So, and, um, and, you know, you, in our daily lives, if you look back, if you really sort of examine, you'll find so many uh, characters who have uh, fed into your life and who mean okay. something. You <laughs> I've seen them for 20 years, but who mean something to you. And that memory remains, that little part of them remains within you. And I think this again goes back to life experience. We lived in this very rambling, like I told you, family, Mm
0: -hmm. Wherein not only were
1: the family members in those days of budget, a lot of domestic help. And um, domestic help in my family and in our part of the world also, which is to a large extent, um, quite classless. Um, exactly. and office, uh, um, in some parts, are absolutely classless. And even in our communities, it is largely classless. So you don't differentiate. And people who come see help, uh, help in your house become family. Their families become yeah. family. Yeah. And, and, it, and, and it, it rolls on, you know. So um, yeah. I've seen yeah. that. And I think that's a beautiful way to be, you know. And, um, you know, I have these memories of um, a particular postman, memories of a particular, um, you know, a compounder in, 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 in a dispensary, you know. So um, I think that life experience shows through. And um, and the strange thing is, structurally in grafting, Um you you see uh, you see uh, you see the tip of the iceberg. But I actually know everything about Roman. You know, Roman to me is as fully fleshed out as perhaps Torun is. I know what's happening in his village. Um, I know what's happening in Zita's Basti. You know, so um, it's uh, I know them really well, although I don't bring it out to the reader. But if you were to ask me about their lives, there's a whole lot more that I know about them than also on the page. But somehow the thing like um, somewhere I think it does resonate with the reader, as you've said. I think it makes the text more alive, and absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yes, it makes it sort of more credible, and you feel like there's something real happening out here. You know? exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. and this,
0: and you're not just stuck in the universe of these two people who are supposed yes, to be the central yeah. characters. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm actually really um, intrigued by that. I mean, I personally love peripheral minor characters as well because they absolutely lend themselves to forming the personality of your protagonists too. totally, totally. and uh, yeah, and. Um, No, but also um, one of the questions that I always ask all of my authors, because it really like, I'm really fascinated by it, is that what is some of the other kind of literature you were consuming? And of course, Undertow took almost eight years to write. Um, But when you were in the throes of it, when you were writing kind of the the, the chunkiest parts of it, what were some of the other literature that, that you were consuming that may or may not have influenced parts of Undertow?
1: so normally normally like mm-hmm. when i was writing rebirth or i write uh, my short fiction i try not to read too much you know that there's oh, also okay. danger of, there's a danger of sometimes parroting and mm-hmm. uh, there's a danger. that there's, there's the other danger of sometimes being thrown off track by something which is very dissimilar to your writing mm-hmm. uh, or parroting something very similar to your writing so it, that that's okay if it's six to nine months or if it's a month for a short story but of yes. course it took yeah. so long i could not not read <laughs> in those eight <laughs> years yeah um, and um i always tend to read what what i enjoy reading i like. I love relationships. So you'll find yeah. me reading an Ann Tyler. I'll be reading Alice Munro. Uh, yeah. I'll be reading with Jhumpala Lahari, like you said. I will, yeah. of course, read whatever uh, the major works that come out in a year. I will be reading, uh, you know, the three, four big books that come out in a year. And I will always be reading short fiction. So for me, uh, it's like a palette cleanser. You know, just um, for nice. your, star, yeah. or your um, you know, you're not in the mood. You just um, let's you pick up um, anything. You pick up um, uh, a, Welty. You pick up William Faulkner. You know, and yeah. Uh, yeah. pick up an Alice Monroe. You pick up a story. Remember, go back to it. You know, so yeah. I, I use yeah. short fiction to kind of uh, spur me on. So I always right. read yeah. short fiction. If nothing else, just go to the New Yorker and see what's happening on the, you know, fiction page and you know, yeah. <laughs> what's what's presented. So yeah. that's the kind of yeah. reading I do. And some amount of, um, I haven't for a long time, but I would read a lot of. Sort of historical non-fiction, you know, um, which which really? I enjoy you know, stuff from the Middle Ages, stuff from you know Khan, and you know stuff like that. So right. uh, that sort of reading. So, uh, but but uh, but people ask me what have I read in the lockdown? So little. I don't know if this lockdown, I, this sort of this whole phase, not it, just lockdown. You know, no, it, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. I think there's such large things happening out there that I've um, really not been able to take. I think fiction seriously, unfortunately. You know, it's yeah. A, yeah. A, I read the short story, go back to, but like okay, but there's so much happening out there. Let's see what's happening.
0: No? I know, yeah. But do you have a but you have a preferred form. Do you prefer the short story over the over, over a full length novel or? Yes, I, do. I, do. I have
1: to. Con- yes, I have to confess, I do. I do. Oh, I'm you a,
0: are? A, oh, how
1: could not, a, not a, have? No, I'm no. an absolute short fiction junkie. So anything short, yes. Which is why I think uh, someone, in fact, said that under to read. Someone read it in one. I actually a lot of people read it in one shot. You know, in in one yeah. in one, yeah. one, one sitting. And somebody then uh, rang me and said, um, it's like an extended long, long, short story. I said, wow, and I didn't look at it that way. But yes, yeah, possibly <laughs> it could look like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it can potentially. yeah, due to its length. But also because of because of the ease of reading it. And okay. you kind of, yeah, like one of the things that always have stood out for me when I'm reading reader reviews is that it just, it sucks you in. And that's what you kind of want from um, fr- from a book as well, especially during this time. Like it it was released in February. And we went into lockdown in March, and I feel like it must have helped so helped so many people kind of get back to. It. And like we like you were saying, and I agree completely with you that it's been so much harder to kind of read fiction because you're constantly distracted by real life. But I feel like this is one of those rare kind of books where you know you're first of all you're automatically sucked in, but it's also not long enough that you kind of have to like wade through it. So I am yeah, and I'm and I'm really glad that more and more more and more people are picking it up but uh, but yeah um no I also wanted to ask you uh, for selfish reasons as well if you're working on something else now and uh, what it is
1: I mean I'm in that thinking stage so for me it's, it's always sort of thinking thinking wool gathering mulling you know until um, something comes through right. yes, okay. yes yes I have I, I, I actually didn't for a long time I think in the last couple of months I am sort of putting my mind to it
0: Right. And uh, when do you think we might be able to see something? Oh, I think a long time. I think
1: this time it'll be not as long as undertone, no. It's not going to be eight years. But I don't, right. think, it'll be, I don't think it'll be as quick as a rebirth, which just took nine months to write, you know? So it'll be, it'll be uh, somewhere in between perhaps, an, an average length, perhaps a year, a couple of years, yes.
0: Okay, that's really, <laughs> yeah, that is really uh, hopeful to hear. Yeah. Um, and, uh, okay, so, um, Himanshi do we have any questions from the public that we want to ask janvi or uh, ma'am no we don't have any questions for now okay, okay. all right um janvi
1: yes so do we continue? Um, do want to discuss something else if we have time or
0: yeah do we how much do we have time left himanshi ma'am 5 minutes okay Okay, so um, I just wanted to kind of, you know, I'm just going to kind of wrap everything up by, um, you know, I mean, Undertow is one of those rare novels which deals with very human, you know, things. It's like, you don't have to worry about kind of what is happening in the outside world. It's like, it's between two, it's between two individuals. And um, I kind of really, really appreciated the way you've brought these kind of individuals alive as well. And I really want to thank you for it because it's one of the most beautifully written novels that I've read all year. I read it personally, of course, last year. So, um, and um, yeah, if anyone wants to kind of, have, who hasn't read the book just as yet, they can pick up a copy that's available in all local bookstores, but it's available online on all uh, on Amazon, Flipkart, et cetera, too. And uh, Janvi, do you want to say a few words to end this and wrap the session up?
1: Um, Just a a big, big thank you to you, Anushree, for a short notice coming on to moderate this. And it's the first time time we're actually talking about it. I mean, the very first one to talk about in in March, I think, collapsed because of tech problems. Yes. And (laughs) and it's a pleasure. And uh, also thank you to the festival for giving us this time. And just to take off on what you said about um, book deals with um, matters in between individuals. But in a sense, um, although it deals with matters between people within a family, um, mm-hmm. it sort of um, dovetails into a lot of things happening outside, you know, so uh, someone says, oh, we've learned about the Northeast from this, we learned about Assam politics. But um, at the same time, uh, I don't, I've always felt the work of fiction is not really a text to go tell you all that, you know, uh, yes, it just yes. kind of opens a windows, okay, there was turbulence in the Northeast and you please go read a little bit more about it from somewhere else. It's like, you know, a foothold there. Um after mm-hmm. a I think, um, I think all fiction is really just universal human stories, you know, and um, I think yeah. all yeah. my work, I attempt to do that, although um, they're set in a particular place because I live in Bangalore, I'm from Assam, but, you know, eventually stories which should be able to, uh, which should resonate anywhere from Iceland mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Greenland you know, in Australia. So that that is the intent of my fiction in that you write things which anybody, which, um, which you know, a person will resonate with. So that, that's mm-hmm. what the fiction about. Yes.
0: All right. Um, thank you so much, Anvi. Thank you for your thank, uh, thank you for your beautiful words, of course, and and for those last really intriguing, thought-provoking thoughts. And uh, thank you, Himanshi. Thank you, uh, Orange City Literature Festival, and thank you everyone who is watching. And please go read Under Two if you haven't already. Please also check out Jan's other nice books, Next Door, which is a collection of short stories, and Rebirth, which is a novel. And uh, thank you, everyone. Bye.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Manji. Thank, thank you, ma'am. You. On behalf of Orange City Literature Festival, I express my sincere gratitude towards your acceptance for the session and knowledge shared with us. I would also like to thank our publisher, Support Penguin Classes for, for cooperation. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. thank you. thank you. 20 years of existence, two universities, 23 educational institutes Offering 137 courses RISONI Group of Institutions A Vision Beyond